Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Bring spring color inside this season with Bear Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with bare premium plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. And I am Ben. Uh, as always, we're joined by someone from our super producer crew. Uh, today we have Matt the Madman Frederick. Uh, and we'd like to give a shout out to our coworker Dylan, who is our audio editor. Uh, w- uh, one thing, Scott, before we get started. Okay, what's that? I've got a nickname for you. Uh, okay, good. What is this? Scott, well, maybe good. Scott the Snake Slayer Benjamin. The Snake Slayer. Okay, well, this goes to a, a conversation we were just having moments ago. Uh, I have discovered a, a rather large uh, snake in my yard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at times I've spotted this thing. And uh, this weekend I'm, I'm going to have to go and hunt that snake or maybe find a new home for that snake. Uh-huh. Uh, either way, I'm not sure. But uh, it's got some... Uh, I don't know. Uh, how, what would you say about the markings on that snake, Ben? I haven't. It's ominous, maybe. Right. Uh, it, it looks like a. Uh, it, it's got some crazy markings on it. I'm going to have to look this up before I make any contact with this snake. A, a lighter brown top, and then a bottom. It has a darker brown striping on the bottom, but they're they're relatively fat stripes. Yeah, it's. Cra- I, I really don't even know anything. I'm going to have to go with a kind of a blurry photo that my daughter snapped while she was out walking the dog. Yeah. And uh, that's the whole purpose of this, because I've got a small dog, very small dog, mm-hmm. and he's very inquisitive about this type of thing. So if he sees that moving, he's going to go for it. I don't want him to be bit, of course. He's, he's like nine pounds, my dog. Right. The snake is probably nine pounds. It's, it's a big snake. It's pretty big. It's a hey, big snake. Hey, uh, that's, it's interesting, because off air, uh, I was looking at some of this. There, there are only six types of poisonous snakes in Georgia. Oh, well, the odds are pretty good, then. The odds are ever in your favor, <laughs> Hunger Games style. But and I've it's got, not nine pounds, by the way. This is a, It's like a, maybe a four-foot snake. But still... Yeah, if it bites, it's gonna hurt. Well, I'm gonna try to avoid that. Do you have a Do you have a snake bite venom kit? <laughs> I don't. I don't even have an acceptable bag to put the thing in. You know, like you I have the snake sticks in the bag and everything. Yeah, you don't have a 
I don't really have a plan right now, Ben. I just uh, I just discovered this thing last night. I've been watching it. It's been we got a small pond in the back, and it, it really small, but it's got rocks around it that uh, it, likes, it suns itself on these on these rocks, and I think it's eating my frogs because I've got frogs mm-hmm. in there, maybe like big bullfrogs, and I believe the snake is is eating those and maybe chipmunks or something like that. You know, in the right. Area. Well, the snakes are good for ecology, and also this this brings us to a, a weird question. I you probably didn't know I was going to throw this at you. On the air, have you ever eaten snake? Oh, wow. I don't think that I have. I've been to a few places that have, you know, some adventurous fare. Sure. You know, where they have, uh, you know. Fried pro- rattlesnake bites. Well, yeah, like crocodile tail and mm-hmm. or alligator bites or whatever, yeah. stuff like that in Florida. And I guess it's all regional. So, you know, if you go out west, you might be able to find some rattlesnake bites or something like that. But uh, I've never tried it. Have you? Yeah, it's a, I, I ate some snake when I was a kid. More of a novelty trying like, sort of uh, thing. Anaconda jerky or something like that? You know, honestly, I don't have the best memory. I know it was fried. I don't fried. know what of course sort of it was. Do yeah. you remember if it was like tough or was it like uh, like red meat or what did it taste like? Do you remember? Did it taste like chicken? I remember it. <laughs> I remember it did kind of taste like chicken, actually. <laughs> and maybe, now keep in mind, of course, this is this is before I was... Even eleven, I was a kid, so it, you know it was one of those novelty things. But I have an idea for you, my friend. What's that? What if you handle the snake in a, in a humane way, make sure it's not on the endangered list or something, mm-hmm. kill it, right? Get some other snakes, and then start a food truck. Just get some other snakes. Scott Snake Shack. A Snake Shack food truck. <laughs> oh, that's an interesting idea, but a nice transition into today's topic, which by the way, if you haven't already, please don't tune out at this point because I promise you, food yeah. trucks are far more interesting than you think they are right now. And and hopefully you found that out in the past with some of our other topics that uh, you know, you you look at the topic and you might think, I don't know if that's really for me, but hopefully we'll take it in some directions that uh, might be interesting to you, hopefully. Right. Um, but but there's way more to these things than you might think, and we're going to explore a lot of different angles here. Mm-hmm. And it's an idea that came from a listener. Yes, uh, not just any listener, ladies and gentlemen, our old pal Rudy. Yeah, Rudy Smith, and Rudy Smith wrote in, and, and I'm going to—I'll be honest with you here, Ben. There's a lot to read here, but I'm going to kind of skim through some of it. I, I I looked through all these links, and this is where a lot of our information came from today. So. Rudy's suggestion came to us back in August of 2015, and he says, uh, Scott, Ben, and Noel, there are a lot of food trucks in Minneapolis right now, and most other big cities, and, and most other big cities in the U.S. as well. Their design and complications are quite interesting. Now, that's what kind of grabbed me. Their yeah. design and complications. So mm-hmm. uh, that, that's an interesting angle that we're going to uh, we're going to explore here today. I promise. And he says, and yes, <laughs> knowing knowing us, of course, he says, and yes, some of them are used in the preparation of pizza. <laughs> which right, is uh, right. vitally important to you and I. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of really excellent angles to handle here. And I mean, I'll just kind of breeze through this list, and, and we'll get to these as topics throughout the whole show. But, um, you know, floor plans are mentioned. You know, some of the uh, the best food, food truck designs, I guess. Mm-hmm. Then there's the, <laughs> he says, then there's the occasional fire or explosion. And, yes, there are many articles here about, um, you know, like 11 homes damaged in food truck explosion. Philadelphia food truck explosion. There's a, a lawsuit pending for, um, you know, where propane tanks, uh, you know, weren't properly inspected and things like that. So, you know, yeah. catch, catching fire, that type of stuff. So there's a lot of uh, peril in owning a food truck as well, I guess. Or being near one, maybe. Yeah, yeah. possible. And um, 
I'll see. The other thing is there's, okay, unusual designs. We mentioned this already, but, you know, it's like, like some weird food truck designs. I've seen a few on the streets here. There's a pizza trailer, because we're not going to talk about just trucks. We're going to talk about trailers. We're going to talk about carts. We're going to talk about a few different things. Maybe mm. mostly focus on trucks, but yeah. these trailers are a big part of it now as well. Uh, he says the barbecue guys are the real innovators. And then there's like these, you know, breakaway barbecue grill pits and, mm. um, you know, just, just the crazy design, like a fire truck barbecue, uh, design. Which is an interesting one. Yeah, I saw that one. Yeah, it's really yeah. interesting. And then complications. And complications to me are one of the most fascinating parts. Food safety. And I know it doesn't sound fascinating now, but it, but it is interesting. Food safety, transporting cooked and partially cooked food. Um, you know, cause some, some of these truck owners are cooking while they're driving down the road, which is, right. you know, they have a staff in the back cooking as they're going. And, and it depends on the uh, state, as we'll learn. Yeah. And imagine that with like, you know, a, a deep fryer or something in the back. Mm-hmm. So. Um, again, that's, that's another thing. There's the complex world of driving around with a deep fryer in the back of the truck. You've got to figure out how to contain all that so you're not losing not only profits, but something that's potentially very hazardous in the truck. Oh, sure. Um, there's the legal angle, you know, like where, where are you supposed to be and, you know, Department of Health issues and concerns and things like that. So another interesting angle. And then uh, who builds these food trucks? There's a company or there's several companies really that, that put these together. Um, I, I was going to add to this a few different things as well. There, there was a movie recently about food trucks. Oh, yeah, with uh, with John Favreau. Yeah, John Favreau, and um, oh, I, I will mess up the names of the Ooh. actors if I if I even try. It's called Chef. Yeah, Chef is the name of the movie from 2014, and I, I watched it. It's about a, a chef who quits his job at some popular LA restaurant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think kind of hooks up with uh, like his best friend and his uh, his ex-wife and his son to create this food truck business eventually out of Miami and then he makes a, a journey of it like coming back from Miami to LA mm-hmm. and becomes very you know wildly popular along the way it's really an interesting uh it's a quick version of of how this all happens for for people who really do it but also think about festivals where you see food trucks and mm-hmm. and regu- you know of course we're going to talk about regulations but some are really, really simple. Some are super complex with what they cook. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see places like cooking lobster and things on, on, uh, you yeah. know, on board when others are just making grilled cheese and fries. Not that that's any. Not there's any, anything wrong with no, it. No, not that it's any less difficult or anything. It's just, it's, it's, you know, simple versus complex. And also there's a, we'll talk about the interesting, the interesting specificity that some food trucks have, which arrives out of necessity as much as it arrives out of marketing. And how they can adapt and how they're able to adapt much mm-hmm. faster than a brick-and-mortar restaurant. We'll talk about that, yeah. too. So, and okay, there's also the social media aspect of this whole thing now. That's uh, that's a big part of this as well. Uh-huh. There's, there's really a lot to discover here when you talk about food trucks. And so hopefully... This will be a uh, kind of a – well, hopefully we'll get to everything we just mentioned, but but hopefully this will, be again, be a little bit more interesting than you thought. And I guess we can start with food truck history because we like to start with history of things, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so food truck history, we can look at it several different ways. It's relatively – it's relatively murky. Uh, you know what? I'm going to call it officially a fool's game to try to figure out the first time in history somebody fed someone off of a rolling contraption because that's that's ancient history. Well, how ancient? We're talking like 17th century here in the United States. Now, this is in, in the U.S. only. I've, I've only got U.S. history here. Right. Exactly. Because that's the only way we can really find a good starting point is to look at 
a specific country, and of course, we have uh, the most information about the U.S. Exactly right, and of course, we're, well, I guess we're biased because we're here in the United States as well. So, so that's uh, that's typically where we tend to focus if if it's uh, something that um, we need to narrow down like this. A lot of the local laws I'm going to complain about later in the show also are based in Georgia. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, that's, that makes sense because we have experience with that, right? Yeah. So, I understand. Um, you might not have guessed the 17th century was when this all started, but it did. It started with, you know, push carts and chuck wagons and things Ooh. like that. But, and you might think, well, where the heck was it started in the 1600s in the United States? Well, you gotta remember that New York was settled in 1624. Right. So, you know, street carts and push vendors in New York City, right away from the very beginning, uh, you know, the police and the author- local authorities had a problem with this. You know, people selling food on the streets. It wasn't, a, it wasn't something that was, Typically done in the United States up until this point, it was usually a uh, a brick and mortar place. You go to a you know a, a public house and eat, or something, sure. or a steakhouse, yeah. or you know whatever. You would you would mm-hmm. you would dine out in an establishment that was a permanent location, not something that you could grab on the go. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, so this existed in the uh, what late 1600s, right? Well, uh, yeah, I guess late 1600s, around 1691, I think, was when they, they, they started creating ordinances against these things in and, 1691. And that's one of the first legal records, if not the first legal record, of a government attempting to handle or regulate this sort of industry. I like that you mentioned chuck wagons here because we... I bet I'm going to have to interrupt just for a second because... I think we need to stay in the 1700s, if that's all right. All right. And, and there's a reason, because in, by 1707, street food vendors were completely banned in New York City in an effort to prevent congestion and, and complaints from retail stores and restaurants. And this is still a fight that they fight today. Oh, yeah. Restaurants and mobile uh, establishments have, have loggerheads often. Yeah, they don't necessarily get along. They would mm-hmm. uh, they would butt heads on a lot of different issues. And it, it's rare when they do get along. Um, but... Again, by 1707, these street vendors were completely banned. So to get, you know, despite that, they would still do this. I mean, it was like kind of a, you know, under the radar type thing that would happen still. And of course, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, construction workers and, and mm-hmm. people working in the garment industry and things like that in, mm-hmm. in downtown New York at the time. And a lot of the popular street foods were things like pretzels and breads and meat pies and fruits and sandwiches. It's just a, oh, by the way, we're getting some of this history information from a place called, uh, food on a truck. And foodonatruck.com is really, it's a, well, it's a blog. It's uh, information about how to start a business. It's got right. all kinds of information about somebody who would be interested in this kind of thing. But, uh, their history piece is excellent here. And now, Ben, I think you, you said, you mentioned chuck wagons. And I, I, I felt I had to go back and describe who they were serving to in New York. Yeah, State. that's a really good point, And thank you for making it. Uh, I, w- I want to do one side note before we get to chuck wagons. In the 1850s, dining cars, existed on trains. Oh. So that's a similar idea, but it's different because these dining cars, of course, cannot come off the tracks, right? Yeah. So this big innovation occurs in 1866. A guy with this awesome name, Charles Goodnight, creates uh, what we call the chuck wagon. Charles Goodnight, who was a, a Texas cattle rancher, mm-hmm. and he modified army wagons, and he fit the, fitted the interior with storage drawers and kitchenware and food supplies, and that is the invention, the birth of the chuck wagon. Mm-hmm. And I think we can all picture what a chuck wagon is, right? And then someone else got the bright idea that, you know, six years, well, six years later, someone else got the, the bright idea that they would take the chuck wagon and they would create windows on the side of the chuck wagon, you uh-huh. know, because right then it was all covered, of course. Right. 
And uh, they, so they've modified this, and, and it would sell sandwiches and pies and coffee and things like that to uh, specific, a very specific group of people. It was journalists outside of a, uh, a newspaper office in, in Providence, Rhode Island. And the reason that's important is because the original chuck wagon design was more for cowboys, honestly, uh, ranchers moving moving herds across the plains of Texas. Well, and I wonder, I wonder how often you know some of the people that were uh, were headed out west to strike it rich also would would come across these and and decide that you know. Um, I wonder if they paid them ever for for their chuck wagon services, you know, along the way. Like you know, we've run out of food. Oh yeah. I wonder if that ever happened. And maybe it did. I would be surprised if it did not. Yeah, kind of sharing. You know, if you're on a cattle drive and you got a chuck wagon with you, yeah, and, and here comes a party of people that that can't feed themselves because, uh, you know, for whatever reason, storms. Yeah, or whatever. you have to trade. Yeah, barter. I, I, I'm sure that that happened uh, along the way. Probably both directions, I would guess, mm-hmm. right? And because of those sorts of conditions, the menu was not exactly what you would imagine when you see those chic new food trucks in the modern age. We're talking <laughs> stuff like beans, salted meat, sourdough biscuits and coffee. Yeah, just about anything that you could keep without refrigeration, really. Exactly. And of course, you know, of course we know that the cattle ranchers or the people doing the cattle drives had a bit of an advantage. They could, uh, they could use the cattle, of course. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I suppose, uh, somebody headed out west could also use the oxen if they needed to. I mean, I, that's a pretty desperate situation when you're doing that. And the last thing I will say about chuck wagons in the modern day is they are still around. Uh, and, you know, the history has left uh, an impression on the American West. There's also chuck wagon racing. I oh. just want to leave, leave everybody <laughs> with that one. That sounds like a state fair activity. It's, it's it, Yeah, it's in rodeos in Canada primarily. That sounds like fun. I, I would watch that. Yeah, like the Calgary Stampede features chuck wagon racing. You can also see it in Arkansas. And I don't know. I'd like to hear from you listeners if you have ever seen chuck wagon racing. I wonder how cutthroat it is. Is it like the old Roman chariot races that we think of? Or is it, uh, is it like a bigger, slower, lumbering version of that? Right. I had never, I had never seen this before we began researching for this show. And so one of my first questions was, is it a straight race, or do they have to stop and like cook part way through? <laughs> <laughs> I bet there are turns involved. I would think. Yeah. I mean, if I had to yeah. guess, like I run on a horse track, maybe. Yeah. And I would guess, you know, they're probably talking about teams of horses, so it must be yes. a fast thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet they're pretty quick. Mm-hmm. I, you know, what? I would just, I'd like to check it out. And actually, once we're off the air, I'm gonna go into a rabbit hole on YouTube and see if I can. <laughs> this might be big for me, man. Maybe I can get into chuck wagon racing, maybe, or chuck wagon modifications. You know, like you could, you could, you could work in the pits, <laughs> right? If they have pits, I guess they would have pits. All right, so, so yeah. we've got this modified version. It's around 1872, mm-hmm. and this guy named Thomas Buckley starts manufacturing different models of these chuck wagons that have sinks refrigerators mm-hmm. and cooking stoves. This is back in the 1870s. And this guy, he was a, he's a former, uh, lunch counter boy in Worcester, Massachusetts. And he starts creating these really fancy models of these chuck wagons. And, and there's three different names for the ones that he created. There's one called the Owl. There's one called the White House Cafe. And there's another one called the Tile Wagon. And I guess that these were really like over the top decorated and things. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, they had, they had, of course, Tiled walls. They had um, stained glass windows in some mm-hmm. cases. Brass spittoons. Uh, yeah, gas lamps and uh, you know mosaics on the wall with mm-hmm. you know that tile design that I mentioned. It's just it, it, it's strange to think about this happening in the 1870s. Now I know they had things like that, but I didn't know that they had mobile uh, food services that had right. such ornate designs. I, it was something you don't see in the westerns when you watch. Yeah, and 
briefly, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead too much, but briefly, the evolution of food trucks took a backward step because as we approached the early 1900s, the, the trucks that were once wheeled turn into just immobile dining cars, and then later that becomes the origin of something that we have today, One an example of which is probably in your town, and that is the diner. The diner? Yeah, well, that's right. You're right. Yeah, because they they look they often look like they are a um, like an old rail car right. that is parked on a parking lot. Sometimes they they have that silver streamlined look and uh, the windows all the way across mm-hmm. the whole side. A lot of those diners do have an appearance and uh, look like um, an old dining car. And that's how it started, which I I think is uh, I think it is fascinating because we're seeing a parallel evolution here. The story is by no means done. Yeah, you know what? And here's the other thing is that. I think I don't know the exact origin of this because I didn't look this up specifically, but I, I never really thought of an ice cream truck as being a food truck. But an ice cream truck is a food truck, and I don't You're know. Smokes. You're right. I don't know when the first ice cream trucks appeared, and, and I, I just didn't look it up before we came in here. But um, ice cream trucks are a food truck. They're a mobile food service, so that yeah. they're they're a legitimate food truck. I don't know when that happened, but it's mentioned here in this uh, in this history of somewhere between you know the early 1900s and the 1950s. So yeah. I would guess that somewhere in there. But in the 1960s, they started to take a different twist. Side note, Scott, uh, have you ever seen inside the ice cream truck vans that roll around suburbs? Are you talking about the ones that are like almost like? Old custom vans that people have turned into ice they cream look trucks. They're sketchy on the inside. So they're not like the the uh, the Mr. Softy vehicles that you know were custom built, like purpose built ice cream trucks. No, no, no. I'm talking about the independent operators. Yeah, those are a little sketchy. Those are those are a little. And I never noticed it when I was a child. I don't but, know if they were around when we were ch- when we were children. I don't know because uh, it seemed yeah. like they were mostly the like the factory fleet vehicles. Yeah, maybe you're right. Uh, but, yeah, but yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I've seen the the newer versions. Like I just guess, the van which, with the with the uh, decals on it. Yeah, like the big the big uh, plate glass window removed, uh-huh. and you know the, the huge <laughs> side window, and then like that's where they just lean out and serve ice cream. At. Mm. It's uh, iffy. I, guess. I couldn't drive one of those. The song would make me go nuts. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. Well, would. Any, anyhow, I, concurrently, outside of major Eastern universities. Sausage vendors start selling out of carts, which become known as dog wagons. Also, we cannot forget that World War One occurs, and this uh, World this, War One. Yeah. Well, okay, so we're going way back to 1917. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, the U.S. Army had mobile canteens or field kitchens to feed troops, and it's a it's a similar concept, but it's a little different, of course. Yeah. Uh, and then 1936. You'll love this one, man. This one we can't miss. 1936, Oscar Mayer rolls out the first portable hot dog cart, the very first Wienermobile. Really? <laughs> really? So it's a portable cart? Yeah, it's it looks not... different. Oh, Here, okay. I have a picture for Interesting. you. Interesting. That's, uh, oh, okay. It's much smaller. Well, it the... looks like the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile, uh-huh. uh, but a push cart. Right, yeah. And so then, as you said, we have the ice cream trucks, but there's another thing that you and Rudy were talking about in your correspondence. Roach coaches. Oh yeah. Okay. So so a lot of people will associate uh, food trucks, early food trucks, with the term roach coach. Now Rudy and I mentioned this back and forth because I said something about it, uh, or maybe he did. I don't remember which. He said I think I remember them calling them this, and I said yeah, that's a good memory because 
my dad had used these types of trucks at, you know, like television stations that he worked at or whatever. You know, they pull up into the back lot and serve, but mm-hmm. they'd say all the roach coaches, would, you know, in the back lot, back lot, come back out and get your, your lunch or whatever. Um, and the studio that I worked at for a while um, in Detroit, they, they would have a, I guess what the old style roach coach would pull up as well. It looked like mm-hmm. a camper on the back with, with you know, like the fold up uh, doors on each side. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they had chips and a few sandwiches that were, you know, preheated and just kind of sitting there. Right. Um, not the greatest <laughs> conditions, but. Those are the ones that they, uh, that's the origin of the term roach coach comes from like the 1960s. And that's, uh, when, you know, these bigger food trucks, I guess, that were on the back of pickups started selling things like, uh, like tacos and burgers. And they would go to construction sites and factories and places mm-hmm. like that. And they did get this bad reputation because they had kind of, they had substandard health practices and, and, you know, like they were, they were dirty. Overall, they were dirty. I mean, because they were, they weren't regulated. They didn't, they didn't have, or if they were, uh, there wasn't the type of inspections that happened today. It was different back then. And, and they would get this, uh, they got this, uh, bad term, you know, roach coach associated with them. Yeah. It's not a compliment. Spoiler. <laughs> no, it's definitely not. So, Ben, if we want to move this up into the modern day, I suppose, even going back maybe 15 years up until present day, mm-hmm. um, you got to understand that a lot of restaurant chefs, chefs have been, Losing their jobs, you know the the recession's been tough on a lot of people. The right. uh, the economy's been rough here, at least in the states, and well, really worldwide. Mm-hmm. But a lot of prominent chefs have lost their jobs, and you know, what are they going to do? They're not going to go to work at you know a, a fast food place. Mm-hmm. Uh, some probably have, but that's not what they want to do. Really, they want to cook and create something you know unique, original, something that's uh, that they can. Uh, uh, serve to somebody with pride, I guess, you know, right. and, and they'll enjoy. And uh, they can have this conversation back and forth about, you know, what they've done and what they can do to make it better, et cetera. And this is this is a perfect opportunity for them to do this if they start a food truck business because they're right there with their with their audience, with their with their crowd, the people yeah. that are eating their food. They can have a face to face conversation mm-hmm. with someone who samples their wares, you know, maybe two or three times a week. Yeah, have finger on the pulse, get out in the streets, mingle with the people. Yeah, you get a uh, you get you tend to build a real relationship with your customers if they're regular customers. And if you have a, a you know a schedule with your food truck that uh, that takes you somewhere else uh, every day, you're not going to build that, but you still will have that sense of pride that you're you're cooking what you want to on your own schedule on your own terms. Well, there's also a bit of a bringing the mountain to Muhammad logic behind this because real estate is often described as being about three things and all three of those things are described as being location. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save 40% site-wide. Get 40% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. One of let's let's just get this out of the way. For anyone who is not familiar with the restaurant industry, it is a cutthroat business. Those people out there from the chef to the sous chef to the dishwasher to uh the person who just seems to always be hanging out there and you're pretty sure they work there but you don't know what they're doing. I guarantee you those people are all busting their humps. It is a very difficult business. Yeah. And it's been said before, you know, that restaurants have a shelf life. And part of that shelf life may be due to the fact, well, of course, that, you know, people will age and people will retire and stuff like that. But also the restaurant is only in one place and people have to go to that one place. But if you have a food truck and there's a crowd on the other side of the of town for, I don't know, let's make something up for, uh, bluegrass festival, then you can just hop in the truck and I'm, we're way oversimplifying this, but you can move to find the people. Sure. Yeah. And we'll, we'll tell you why that's an oversimplification in just a minute because, uh, there's, there's more to it than that, but you're right that, and okay, there's a lot of different angles here too, in that you say every restaurant has a shelf life. Some do, some I feel don't like the, the classic diner maybe doesn't. Because it serves the classics. It has the meatloaf, it has the grilled cheese, it has hamburgers, mm-hmm. it has a chicken sandwich, you know, mm-hmm. that type of thing. These food trucks, um, you know, they, they can be, they're, they're adaptable. Some places yeah. open up and they're more, you know, cutting edge, you know, the, uh, the, the nouveau cuisine, you know, and, right. and, uh, it's whatever the latest trend is. And, and that, that, those to me are the ones that are kind of like, you know, the open today, gone tomorrow type places. It happens unless they're, unless they adapt and change along mm-hmm. with the needs. And, that's one thing that food trucks are really, really good at is that on the fly they can change what they serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can they can adapt it. They can also take it in, in slow steps if they want. But they're a lot more flexible with the the menu. And <laughs> part of the reason be- behind that is that typically the person who owns a food truck is the person who's on the food truck cooking. Right. That's the that's the top chef. 
the person who owns the restaurant, you know, that, that has, you know, puts out the same menu every night is not typically the chef. And the chef and the, and the owner might have, you know, words about, you know, what should be cooked that evening or the, even that month or, you know, for the upcoming season or what, you know, sure, whatever. There's yeah. always that, that argument that happens there because restaurants are exceedingly expensive. So the people that, people that own restaurants aren't necessarily the people that also cook in the restaurants. They might just be a business partner and they might have a differing idea of what should be served. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not, they're not adapting to the market as quickly. And I know that, that that's a broad brush to paint this whole thing. Sure. And I don't, even pretend to, to completely understand the food industry at all, but right. but I do understand that you know these these mobile food service uh, vehicles can be a lot more um, flexible and and uh, they can evolve a lot faster than mm-hmm. a, a brick and mortar restaurant can. And many restaurants, especially now, many restaurants that are brick and mortar stationary restaurants have purchased or acquired a food truck so that they can send their truck out. To things to yeah. popularize. Them. You know, you're touching on something that I want to get to eventually. There's a there's a short list of ten things that I kind of want to go through quick, but it, it's a uh, it's a list of, of things that food trucks won't tell you. Oh, right? and, I know this list. You know, or people that own food trucks won't uh-huh. tell you, I guess. And and one of the things, and it's the last thing on the list, so I, I'm okay with telling you this. A lot of people don't understand that that restaurants do own food trucks, and not just like the trendy restaurants in town, you know, the cafes and things like that. Mm-hmm. We're talking like Taco Bell owns a truck, Sizzler has a truck. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of trucks that are owned by companies that you just would never ever expect. I mean, Dunkin' Donuts has a truck. I mean, I know that's not a restaurant, but you know, like the Philly mm-hmm. Connection has a truck for their cheesesteaks. Yeah, Pizza Hut has a truck. So some people don't get this because. Uh, some of these trucks have gone to the extent of changing the name of the truck so that uh, the the association in people's heads doesn't get tied to the truck business. Now, uh, I think that's a bit dirty, but I understand what they're saying when they do this. And, and this is coming from this article again. Um, where did I find this? I found it in Market Watch mm-hmm. uh, from a couple of years ago. It's a few years old, but it still stands up. The Sizzler truck is called the ZZ truck, you know, from the, the two Zs in the middle of Sizzler. Uh, yeah, yeah. And the reason they do that is because they don't want old memories, you know, people's idea of that chain of restaurants to be in their head when they're buying this new product because they, they really do have some new stuff. They have new recipes, new menu items, updated mm-hmm. versions of old classics. Sure, and, it's a great way to test what's popular. Yeah, and it's a way to reach new customers that normally wouldn't walk into a Sizzler, but they will walk up to a food truck. And the thing is, like, maybe maybe they do you know, get some old customers that go to the food truck right. and, they, and they win back those old customers that might have bad memories of what Sizzler was in the past, even though Sizzler, I think, is trying to change their overall image anyways Ooh. right now. But it's an interesting look at, you know, how that all works. And, and I guess, um, you know, places like Taco Bell and, you know, Pizza Hut and things, they just do what they normally do in the restaurants at the food truck as well. I don't think they're adapting that much to, to you know the, mm. the market needs or whatever right right they're already doing that at their their brick and mortar they're places. not all of a sudden gonna make wontons or something no but like an, an older business like sizzler they have a lot to gain by getting out there you know to get new people in and maybe again like they said change the minds of some of their older customers as well mm-hmm. so um maybe we'll talk about that list later there's there's some interesting things there yeah so. so we have we have a couple of things we can talk about uh as we as we go you want to just go the modern day yeah, sure. Let's okay. do that because what a crazy thing this has become, really. I mean, we mm-hmm. see them everywhere. They're on street corners. They're at festivals. They they block off streets in the middle of towns to have food truck events. We have been here. We at our at our office mm-hmm. for a while. We we relied on food trucks every day when, before the food court was open in our building. Right. Yeah. 
uh, those were glory days as well because if you caught the right food truck, you could grab lunch for here, – here's my line. I I don't like to buy lunch. I feel like I have somehow messed up in my personal planning if I don't bring a lunch, but my limit is $10. Okay. I can't go over $10. Reasonable. And it can be, it can be tough because there's some higher-end uh, restaurants in the area. But if you guys ever feel like visiting Scott and I, then I'll show you, I'll show you the ropes. There's a great pizza place nearby mm-hmm. where, you, where you can eat like a king for like eight bucks. <laughs> but don't blow up my spot because I don't want the rest of, uh, the rest of the building to find out I mean, about or it. Or all of Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so we do have a food court now. Right. And, and it's very pricey, but compared to, uh, what we had, or what we have now, mm-hmm. the food trucks were relatively inexpensive, even though, you know, you're paying a bit of a premium for the sure. convenience. Oh, or for the experience, which is why Taco Bell and Sizzler would rebrand themselves. And we knew which trucks were going to be there every day because they had a social media presence where they would, uh, they would schedule. They would announce it, yeah. They, they would schedule maybe three trucks to come, you know, at a different times during the week. And so these food trucks would travel in packs as well, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, it, it's just like when you see a bunch of car dealerships all clustered together in, in one strip, right? It's just a way to get somebody who is already planning on being interested in the product that you have. Yeah, you think that's a mistake, but it's not a mistake in a lot of ways because, it, you know, you're bringing in more customers that way. You're able to, uh, you know, once somebody's already on the lot to buy a car, like you said, Ben, they might wander over to the next lot and decide they like that car better. And that's the same way with food trucks. Right. And the modern food truck craze, which has been going on for several years now, uh, can be traced largely to a guy named Roy Choi. Uh, he is was based in Los Angeles at the time uh, and created a Korean taco truck. Los Angeles has a heck of a history with mobile food delivery. Now, it's interesting that he would choose like Korean tacos for this, right? Barbecue mm-hmm. tacos. Uh, because to me, one of those, one of the classic street foods is, is tacos, of course. And it right. didn't always require an entire truck to make these tacos. You'd find vendors on the street, uh, that have set up, you know, just a, she's nothing more than a few aluminum boxes that look like, you know, a, mm-hmm. on the front of a, uh, a bike, you know, like an old push type cart. Yeah. Uh, and that's how they would make their tacos. But, or, or, you know, almost something akin to a, uh, like a hot dog stand, you know, with a, right. an umbrella over the top. But, um, for him to branch out and to actually, you know, have this truck where he could go, Long distances and serve the whole community, really. Yeah. Very smart. So this was 2008, and as you said, the recession hits. So uh, food trucks become even more appealing because they're cheap eats, in many cases, cheaper than a restaurant. And then also, if you want to open a restaurant to the point that you made earlier, Scott, and you can't afford the, frankly, significant amount of overhead and capital required to lease or rent or buy a building and renovate it and all that, you can do that in microcosm on a truck. Yeah, and sure. And so because of this and because of this economic downturn, food trucks become more appealing to consumers and to uh, owners. But then another thing happens that doesn't get enough credit, which is the ubiquitous nature of social media and cell phones, right? These these things. If there's a food truck in your town, I guarantee you, uh, if they're one of the n- the new school food trucks, they are on Twitter 
all the time. Yeah, and they're going to be packed. There's usually a line at these things when they, when they do show up because people know where they're going to be. They're announcing they're announcing ahead of time that we're going to be at the corner of uh, you know Elm and Maple at this time, and uh, sure enough, there's going to be a crowd waiting for them when they arrive. Yeah, and it might be super super high end stuff. It might be uh, just the the basics. Like the, this is a great. Grilled cheese and fries, place. Yeah, that happens, and and like we said, you know, some people are, um, you know, cooking sixteen or seventeen dollar lobster rolls in their truck, and other people are making, you know, seven dollar grilled cheese sandwiches. So there's yeah. there's a huge variety, and everything in between, of course. And there's probably some that even have more expensive fare than the seventeen dollar lobster roll. Oh, hold on, hold on. Sure. Sorry. Seven dollars for a grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> okay, maybe what, no. what's on it? <laughs> maybe I don't know. Maybe nothing. I'm sorry. I'm not. It's Scott, probably, I'm not angry at you. I'm okay. angry at the situation. I'll be. Can I be honest here? <laughs> yeah, please. I'm not a huge food truck user. I've uh, uh, I, I've tried it in the past. You know, at festivals, things like that. And I know that they can be a little bit pricey. And but the the yeah. source material I'm looking at is a couple years old. That stuff is saying you know you can get something between seven and twenty bucks maybe. Um, I don't even know if that's the case anymore. Maybe it, maybe the maybe the uh, scale's been pushed to more like ten to twenty two, mm-hmm. <laughs> something like that. But yeah, you're probably right. I bet that the uh, the cost of you know even simple fare like that is uh, is, is about ten bucks, and that's that's reasonable, I guess. I mean, it's it's comparable to what you would find in a diner, maybe. You know, if you were to just walk up to the counter and order something similar, I guess you have to compare apples to apples and oranges to oranges, right? I mean, true and and. These people are trying to cover the margin of, you know, the cost of, you know, operating this whole thing, you know, getting around town of, and, you know, running, you know, all the propane and, and the air conditioning and the refrigeration and all that stuff that all that gets rolled into the price of the product. Okay. Yeah. So, that's, so that's part of the argument. So that's one thing. But, but then again, you go to a, a brick and mortar place and they're, they're rolling the rent. Sure. And, uh, the utilities. You know, all the utilities. You're right. right. All the uh, staff and Insurance, everything. What yeah. it pays to have, you know, their, uh, the lawn cut out front. The rising price of avocados. All of that stuff is rolled into the price of the food and, and it's just expected. So I don't know. Are you getting a better deal with a food truck or are you getting a worse deal? I, I, I think it depends on what price we place on convenience because for instance, if you're just walking down the street somewhere and you're in a hurry, then and you happen to see a food truck. This actually happened to me, Scott. It was some cheesesteak place. Now I'm wondering if it was a Philly cheesesteak food truck in disguise. But I love cheesesteaks. I was in a hurry. I was going to be about two minutes late for something. I hadn't eaten all day. Yeah. And I was walking through this gargantuan apartment complex uh, you know, the streets between the buildings. And for no reason, there was a food truck. Hmm. It, it was like a sign from the, the gods of cheesesteaks uh, and trucks. A, a nice surprise. Yeah. And it worked out perfectly. It's the only time that happened to me because it's still, it's a booming industry here in Atlanta, but it has um, some complications to Rudy's point. Which we'll we'll get into the legal stuff, but wh- where do you want to go with this? Well, I'll tell you what. How about this? I I would love to talk about complications and regulations and rules and things and I like want to that, talk about the vehicles themselves. Yeah, I do too a little bit. How about this? We I can run through a quick pros cons list, maybe. That's fantastic. It yeah. seems like, and and I'll do it as quick as I can here. But you know, you understand that there are pros that we've t- we've a few pros that we've talked about. There's also some drawbacks, and and. Listen to this list carefully. There's only about, you know, five of each, four or five of each one. So okay. I'll, I'll try to go through quickly. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. 
But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to bring some spring vibes indoors? Bare Premium Plus Paint is here to make it happen. And it's starting at only $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Picture your kitchen coming to life by adding a pop of blue with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. And let's not forget your living room. Picture it drenched in the lush, verdant tones of Amazon jungle, breathing new life into your space with every glance. Head into your bathroom and let the cool breeze of sea glass wash away all your stress. And when the morning sun peeks through your bedroom window, feel the warmth and comfort of a spring sunrise with shades like coral cloud and dark crimson. Whatever your inspiration, start your spring with a durable finish that resists dirt and grime to last all season. And let your creativity bloom with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. There might be a few we can add on the way. We'll, we'll start with the pros. How about okay. that? Yeah, Let's yeah. keep it positive. So the advantages of owning a food truck might be uh, that there's, well, a few of these we talked about already. The relatively lower initial investment and in operating costs sure. uh, compared to, uh, you know, opening a restaurant. It's, it's understandable. I mean, you know, like the fir- first-time entrepreneur, uh, it's a way to also kind of jump in, get your toes wet, learn the landscape, as they say. You know, understand what's going to happen. Um Food trucks can also be kind of like a, a complementary addition to an established business. So mm-hmm. if you have a catering business, maybe, that's one that we haven't even thought about. Caterers right. who want to branch out from just doing single events can go to, you know, festivals or, you know, just prowl the city during the mm-hmm. day and, you know, sell to everybody every day. That's a, that's a great thing. It's like every day having a party. Yes. If you want to look at it that way, really. Um, the third one here, is, it mentions the dynamic of the food truck business and how it's a bit different compared to running a restaurant or providing catering services because, 
it's great for people who enjoy this really busy, active working environment, like something that's really just chaotic and crazy, and but but you're getting the job done. You know, uh-huh. it's, it's fun for some people to be in that type of situation. And if you're someone who likes that type of thing, you know, as a as an owner, or as a chef, or whatever, you know, you like the the hustle and bustle in the kitchen, the activity. Mm-hmm. And some people really do. This is perfect for them. And again. You get to be face to face with the customers, so you get a lot of feedback, and I think that's got to be rewarding to a lot of people. You know that you don't get that in the kitchen at the diner or at you know the the TGI Fridays down the road. Right, there's a little more distance often. Yeah, you, I mean, how, how many times do you really get to see the person or talk to the person that cooks your food? You don't, you don't very often. If you want to compliment them, you have to call them from out of the kitchen to do so. Mm-hmm. I know it's, it happens, but it's not very common. But on a food truck. That might happen every day, several times. So, mm-hmm. so that's another thing. And uh, the fourth one here is that one that we've already talked about. Modifying products is a lot easier on food trucks because menus are designed to be uncomplicated but delicious. But um, it can be challenging and also enjoyable for an entrepreneur in in that type of situation. You know, they want to change things, they want to be adaptable and flexible. But um, on on a food truck, you can create these new products and deliver them a lot faster than you can if you have a, a brick and mortar place where you have mm-hmm. to reprint menus every day or mm-hmm. you know um, uh, tell the whole staff how to how to uh, how to adjust this and how to fix that. And it's it's a different uh, it's a whole different ballgame, really. Yeah. Uh, the last one for the pros is that the, you just simply have the ability to participate in events like concerts or festivals that you normally would be completely discounted from unless that venue happens to be right across the street. If you've got a, a restaurant right near a ballpark, good for you. That's a, an excellent <laughs> location, and you're going to get business every time there's a ball game in town. But what if you could also, you know, you could park a truck there near the ballpark and then the next day go down to, you know, the, the NFL, you know, the stadium where they're going to play the NFL game on Sunday. Right. And then you go to... The zoo or the something. NFL game. Do you hear why I said that? I sound so hokey when I say stuff like that. <laughs> so anyway, you understand what I mean. Yes. You can go to the zoo. Uh, you could also um, you can go to music festivals, as we mm-hmm. said. Um, I, I would guess that you know if there's uh, churches or schools having events in places, you yeah. can park outside of those. You could go to protest. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, that's, honestly, you can. You can do stuff like that. I mean. Putting yourself in a little danger, maybe in some situations. But, I guess uh, it depends on what they're protesting. Park outside, like if you know there's going to be a prison riot that day, you could park nearby. <laughs> just hope for some, you know. Oh wow! Some of the runoff. I don't know if those are the customers <laughs> you want. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> right. So let's quickly go through the cons, and then, yeah, we'll, yeah, then yeah. we'll move on to some yeah. of the other interesting things. <laughs> Less, more interesting things. How about that? What are you talking about? I don't know. Sometimes when I say things, I think like, "What did I just say?" I said, "Let's move on to something interesting now." Oh, this is a, this is a cool side note. I, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, and I'm interested to see if this ever happens to to you guys as well. Sometimes when I say something that is especially awkward, which has happened probably three or four times this morning already, I have this pause and this internal monologue, like that kid on the Wonder Years, mm-hmm. and I always think, what if I'm struck by a meteorite or have an aneurysm or a heart attack, and my last words were going to be, yeah, I guess... Canned vegetables are okay. Or some, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, it's like, so it's something like inane. this. It's, it's like when you say, like, ah, let's move on to something more interesting. And then you go, right at that moment, I realized that was the stupidest thing I've ever said in my life. You know, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, like it's that, that internal, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, it's like a different voice almost in your head that, that picks up like a narrator. I get it. All right. So uh, cons. Cons. Let's, let's talk about a few cons. We'll do them fast. Um, so here's here's something that we've mentioned before. And, and maybe we didn't think about it the right way the, the first time we said it. Getting a food truck business started through a bank loan can be tough, and the reason is banks are skeptical about lending money 
because they think that the food truck thing is a trend, that it's going to go away. It's a fad. So yeah. when That's we talk about think. prices later, you know, we, and this is, this, man, some of the stuff is coming from a few years ago, but they think it's a fad even back then and it's still going strong. So I don't know how right this is or how accurate all this is, but, right. um, it doesn't seem to be a fad. It seems to be growing, if anything, at this point. It's growing but, despite Local regulations. Well, yeah, despite local regulations, that's right, because that's number two is the challenge is regulations. A lot of different states and municipalities have very clear rules regarding these mobile uh, mobile businesses, the Mm -hmm. food businesses, but Mm -hmm. others have no such thing. You know, they're they're completely different between between cities, between counties, between states. Mm -hmm. It's all very different. So. you have to research and contact the relevant agencies based on where you're going to be that day or that week or that month or where you just intend to operate in general to understand what kind of licensing needs you have and et cetera. And it can be very complicated, so right. that's one thing. Yeah, right. Here's one example just just for our textbook case here. Uh, in Washington, D.C., health inspectors, of course, will check out your vehicle. They'll also verify that you have the following – Proof of ownership, proper ID, vehicle license, proof of district-issued food manager identification card, food purchase record storage and record keeping, a depot, commissary, or service support facility that meets vending unit operation needs, a copy of license for this facility, and an inspection report. That's the paperwork. That's just the paperwork alone. Well, there's way more than this oh, if you go more. to well between different states too. Right, because here right. I'll, I'll give you another example, and this comes from our, our ten things they won't tell you list. I was going to save this for later, but I'll, it's a perfect time for it now. Um, they're not all held to the same standards at all, as we said, you know, from state to state, or even from city to city, or county to county. So, regulators, for the most part, in all areas, require food vendors to have hot and cold running water, a refrigerator, and to be able to dispose of waste properly, but you know, some of these specific rules can differ. Like in Los Angeles, food trucks must also park within 200 feet of a bathroom where workers can wash their hands. That sounds pretty strict. Uh-huh. I mean, that's that's something, a situation you're not going to find very, you know, all that often. Um, in southern Nevada, all food handlers must be certified in food safety, but in some cities, only part of the staff must be certified. Hmm. In New York City, restaurants are given letter grades following health inspections, but not food trucks. So food trucks aren't held to the same standards as restaurants are in New York City. And then in L.A., Food trucks also get graded, so they get the letter grade as well. So that that differs between LA and New York. There's there's all kinds of this stuff happening, and right. Ben, there's more to it than just that. I mean, another one off of this ten, top ten list is that one of the things they say is we're not supposed to be here, and right. it's funny because you know it's strange because of how many there are. You know, every year it seems like there's more and more of these things on the road, but in parts of Nevada. The trucks have to relocate every 30 minutes. That's another kind of crazy rule. I didn't know that that was a, a law. Every 30 minutes, no matter what, they have to pick up and go. In Washington, D.C., the food trucks are technically supposed to move out of a spot once the line customers that they're, once the line that they're serving clears. So the last person in line gets to the front of the line and they're served. Yeah. Technically, they have to leave. They can't just sit and wait for more customers to arrive. Which is strange. And in, in New York City, um, last year, they, they pushed a lot of food trucks out of the midtown Manhattan area by enforcing a decades-old rule of banning vending machines, or not vending machines, but van, banning vending mm-hmm. from metered parking spaces. So if it's a metered parking space, even though they're paying for that space, they can't stay there. They're, un, they're unable to. So they have to stay in areas that are free parking and try to find free parking in downtown Manhattan hmm. for a food truck. I mean, it's hard enough to find it for a small car. So these tight restrictions, these uh, these different laws, I mean... 
a lot of times they're going to find you find that they have to park illegally and they know they're parking illegally mm-hmm. but they have to do it otherwise they're not going to make any sales and th- there's even one other kind of crazy one and I, I don't know if I have the uh, the state or the city that this is in but there's some law on the books and it's like a 30 or 40 year old law again where you have to be hailed in order to stop the food truck so the food truck's uh. only able to pass through town unless somebody weighs it down and says, "Hey, tacos or whatever. Hey, hey, ribs." <laughs> it's it, and you know what they call it? What? It's going to make sense when you hear it. It's called the ice cream rule. Oh, because yeah, you've, you've seen this. Ice cream trucks drive through the neighborhood, right. and until somebody yells out "ice cream," you know, or whatever they, they yell just keep out, cruising. Yeah, they just keep going, and it, you know, it's a fun game when you're a kid to yell "ice cream" and then hide. And then see him stop. You monster! Well, I did when I was a kid. Yeah, this is, <laughs> is, is it was fun. It was a fun game. You would you would hide behind a bush, and then the the guy drive by, and you'd yell, "Ice cream!" And he would stop, and he'd wait there for about a minute, you know, looking around, and then he'd start to move again, and yell, "Ice cream!" again, and he'd stop a second time. But that was it. Then it was done. How that guy must have hated. You I guys. know, and I think after a while, you know, in that area, the guy just kept moving on. But but that is called the ice cream rule, and. That's this is critical because remember we talked about social media. Yeah, and we'll get back to the cons yeah, in a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Social media helps this rule because whatever city that was in, I can't remember where it was. Uh huh. They said that by having people on the premises when they arrive, that's the same as hailing them down. That's the that's the same as them telling them to stop uh, because they want the service. So they schedule the the stop. People arrive ahead of time. There's a pool of people waiting. They're able to then park and then serve those people. If they if they weren't there, they they can't just stop in the parking lot for no reason. Uh huh. So the social media thing has helped them out a lot in that case with the old ice cream rule. That's a really good point. <laughs> Weird, huh? How yeah. that all ties together. So back to the cons, and we'll do this quick because I want to move on to s- some important stuff here with the trucks themselves. Um, finding the right truck and then finding also a commercial kitchen can take time and money. Now, that's that's pretty important finding a commercial kitchen because. That ties yes. into a, a rule that you know about, right? Where uh, about the cooking, right? So in some places, Atlanta being one of those places, it is illegal to prepare food from scratch, essentially on the truck. You can't really cook; you're just reheating. Well, you can, yeah, you can prep, you can do some stuff, but the the actual, or you can finish, I guess, a dish, but the actual, uh, the the actual from scratch part of it occurs typically off-site somewhere. Well, I, I find this fascinating because here's the thing. The food trucks range anywhere from 30000 to more than 100000 of course, you know, with all the, their, their equipment and everything. Right. But then in addition to that, you're going to require a, um, you know, a commercial kitchen somewhere. And it has to be a kitchen that can be inspected, and it can be a, you know, a purpose-built place for your own business, you know, an individual that yeah. can own this place. Yeah, yeah, But a lot of them share a commercial kitchen space. Yeah, and they prepare food ahead of time for their for their daily needs. And I, this is going to bother me if I don't say it because I think we need to be honest here. Let me phrase this as a question for you, Scott, and for you listeners: Do you believe that the enforcement of this legislation comes from restaurant lobbies? I absolutely do. I'm. Glad that it's not just some conspiracy theory cooking in my head, man. No, it's not. They butt heads all the time. Because it's, it reminds me again of Tesla and dealership lobbies. Yeah. You know, and we, we had, we looked at the conflicting interests between Tesla's model and the orthodox car selling model. And now I'm wondering, you know, are restaurants in some parts of at least the states banding together to 
fight the rise of food trucks. You know, it's funny, though, because they've had this contentious relationship since uh, way before 1866 with the chuck wagons, even. Uh-huh. Uh, they, they've, since it was street carts, you know, so our vendors pushing a cart on the on the road or on the street, rather, um, they've had the idea that they're stealing business from the from the restaurants. And are they or are they not? I mean, how can you measure that? You know, would the, are these people that would have gone into a restaurant, a sit down restaurant or even a diner where you just order at the counter? Or, or is it something that they just wouldn't have taken the time? You know, they just wouldn't have eaten lunch that day. You know, maybe that's it. Well, yeah, but there's also, I can see the restaurant side. For instance, let's consider this, let's consider this hypothetical situation. You own a restaurant. Well, I own a restaurant. Okay. We'll call it Ben's Bon Me Burgers or something. And I've had this restaurant for a while. It's doing pretty well. We get a big, uh, we get a big lunch rush. Sure. You know, lines out the door. People yeah. love these bomb meat burgers. And all of a sudden, I see some joker, uh, driving some step van called Scott's Snake Shack pulling up right across the street. Yeah. Pulling my customers away to get, you know, to get the fried alligator or, bites. Or how about this? How about I even, uh, I even show up with a burger truck? Uh, so it's direct competition. What yeah. are you going to do about that? I mean, that's a, that's a serious issue. I mean, it really is. I can right. I, I get that if they're parked within a certain distance, yeah, you are going to draw that, you know? new people. You know, yeah. well, you know, in the restaurant, I'm going to have to wait for a table, or you know, it's going to take uh, you know 45 minutes for me to, to from start to finish, right? Or, or I like could that. walk up to the truck and get my burger in five minutes and and eat as I walk to the next meeting or whatever you're mm-hmm. doing. Um, pros and cons of both, I suppose. Pros and I mean, cons. I mean, sometimes you want to sit down, and sometimes you want to go inside and have the air conditioning and have the you know the service. You want to you want to experience that Take whole thing. Time, yeah. yeah, exactly right. I mean, there's there's a, a need for all of that. I, I totally get it. So, again, you know, back to the the con, just so we can understand what we're talking about um, one more time, is that you know you either have to get in addition to the food truck, which is a a, a cost, of course. Uh, you have to have a shared use commercial kitchen or a private commercial kitchen. And then also keep up with inspections on that. Right. So, um, you know, it's still another large investment. So the the last con here on the list is that, um, and as we, we've mentioned many times, is that the mobile food industry is very competitive and margins are really, really low in a lot of cases. So, yeah. uh, you, know, you know, the cost of operating the business is, is oftentimes more than what you make during the day. So that's a, that's a problem for a lot of people. Um, but the other thing that we're not thinking about or we haven't even mentioned yet is that uh, this business is also also weather dependent. Ooh, good so, call, Scott. So you know, Minneapolis, where Rudy is talking about all these food trucks, that's a different situation than here in Atlanta, where it's pretty sure. much a twelve month business. Right. And you, can, you can operate twelve months out of the year up there. You might be able to operate um, realistically eight months out of the year. Or and that's or, pushing it. Or places that will have high temperatures at times, like Phoenix. Sure, that's right. You know? And yeah, yeah. So there's that. I mean, and and not only that, but I mean, everybody's affected by things like rain or you know, of course, snow is another thing. We talked about seasonal differences, but but rain or uh, just foul weather. You're not going to go out in, the, in a hailstorm or a lightning storm to a food truck. You're going to you're going <laughs> to you know find a, a brick and mortar place or go to a drive through somewhere if you're if you're in it for just a fast lunch. Mm-hmm. So so there's that angle that we're not even thinking about. But Ben, let's let's move on from the cons. I mean, there's there's probably a hundred more pros and cons on both sides. Yeah, and we've talked about so okay. So at this point, we have talked about the history. We talked about the pros. The cons have talked about the legal situation which as you can tell listeners irks me to no end and i'm i'm working assiduously not to go on a rant about what a load of malarkey it is but malarkey nonetheless 
in the way these laws are being applied, not to make any sweeping argument about the consequences of overregulation. But let's talk about the trucks themselves, because this is so cool. Yeah, I agree. And there's a few manufacturers that are creating these, uh, well, I guess the, the more cutting-edge trucks, the ones that we see, uh, you know, with the, the modern wraps on them and, yeah. uh, you know, the bold designs and, you know, the innovative, um, maybe even innovative exteriors. You know, it looks like a pig on the outside with ears and a snout or something, you know, oh, some yeah, sort of yeah, pork yeah. sandwiches. Uh, some, some crazy designs that are out there, too. And there's one that I came across, and I'm going to use this one as my example, and you can look this one up if you'd like and follow along or however you want to do it, but or just look into it later. Prestige Food Trucks. Now, they're the world's leading food truck manufacturer, according to their site. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but, but right. I, I gotta say, they've got a lot of clients. They've got, um, you know, Johnny Rockets and the U.S. Army and Brewster's Ice Cream and Nathan's Hot Dogs and Harrah's and the Navy and Texas Roadhouse. It, it's all across the board. It's a little bit of everything. They provide, um, you know, these, the, the big box type trucks that you would normally associate with food trucks now, modern food trucks. They've got mm-hmm. uh, smaller versions as well. They even have carts and trailers. They have all that stuff. And if you're looking for, uh, you know, a, a custom built truck, that's something they can do. They can, they can build one from the ground up. Any, any floor plan you want, uh-huh. any, any appliance you want of any kind, they'll do it. It's just a matter of cost at that point. They've been featured on shows like How It's Made, so you can watch them doing this. They've been on CNBC and, um, you know, food truck. I think it's a called, truck, uh, show called uh, Food Truck Face Off, uh, which is, uh, you know, of course, it's exactly what you think. One of those food network type shows. Um, just a, a lot of variety, I guess, in this place. You can have, you know, really, really simple or you can have really, really complex. And mm-hmm. the current inventory, the ones that they have already built, I, I was looking through the prices on some of these and they've got one that was a, almost like a salon type vehicle. They call it a fashion truck and it has, you know, like things like hair washing sinks. And so it's not really a food truck, but that was the lowest end vehicle they had. And that was $40,000. And it's a modern truck. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's big and new and it's got a lot of, uh, a lot of flash to it, I guess. Right. But it's a different thing. It's not for food. One of the biggest food trucks that I saw, the most expensive food truck, and they've got everything in between. So it's, you know, 40,000 to this price, $165,000 for one of these. And, I would guess that they can go north from there as well, you know, depending on what you want. But this one looked pretty nice, I gotta say. It was a 22 foot food truck, had just about anything and everything you wanted. Deep fryers, you know, a grill, a stove, it had air conditioning, it had a refrigerator, generators, it had everything and it was spotless, you know, stainless steel, spotless kitchen. Really, really nice truck, but again, $165,000. That's a lot of money. Uh, to try to get from the bank for a loan, or if you have that money as a startup, you know that's that's another thing. But um, I don't know; it's an interesting place, and, and they do all their manufacturing right there in Elkhart, Indiana, which is in northern Indiana. It's it's on the border practically. Um, they have they have offices in Orlando and in Bridgewater, Pennsylvania. So you know it's it's a it's a national store, a national business. Again, you can look into it and see what they've got there, but you would be surprised with the variety that you can actually get within that, that, that small space. I'd also like to recommend a website called Food Truck Empire, which has a, a cool section on how people can build DIY food trucks. Oh, I like this idea. Mm-hmm. So first step, you need to determine your layout and your equipment. There's a lot of research that goes into every step of this. And we found some floor plans for typical, you know, uh, starting floor plans for food trucks, right? Like, let's say you take a, I keep going back to the example of a step van. Yeah. A step van 
window cut in the side, maybe a display case to hold drinks. So relatively small. Relatively small. We're talking like a, some of the plans might have a um, a couple of work tables, one that's 72 by 24, you know, a, a griddle, 18 inches or so. And uh, you, the thing is, you have to have fire suppression system. You have to have commercial-grade stuff. And it's jammed into a very small area. It's very well-designed. Like, if you have ever been inside a well-done RV yeah. and noticed how every space has multiple functions. You know, I've got I've got a yeah. tiny, tiny, tiny bit of experience with this, but it's not even a food truck. What, what my, is it? A long time. Remember I've told you many times I would spend summers on the farm in Indiana? Yeah, yeah. My uncle, at some point during that, you know, we go to horse shows and state fairs and, you know, the, the county fair and all that and, and show animals. And when we go to these horse events, he decided that it would be a good idea if he uh, sold tack. You know, items for horses, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever they need. And he bought an old Frito-Lay truck, like a delivery truck, really old. And he, this is back in maybe the early 80s, late uh-huh. 70s, early 80s. And he designed the interior of it so that it was it was very smart. You know, they could hang everything that he needed to. And it was like um, it was an, a, a real effort to get everything that he wanted into that van. But he did it. And it was smart. I mean, he laid out the floor plan. You decide what you need and where you want to put it. And it's the exact same thing with food trucks is that. You know, you you have you have a certain minimum requirement, and you have mm-hmm. to get this much material into this space. How are you going to do it? And is there a better way to do it? Can you find something that's newer, that's smaller? You right. We'll do the same thing, but you don't want to give up the griddle space. You want that bigger, but you want to have enough refrigerator space. But yeah, it's like this give and take all the time. And how can you be innovative and do that in a different way? Gets you the most for your buck. It's Tetris. In, in, a, in a real way. Yes, very good. So you can also you can also on this website uh, check out some stem to stern videos of taking a gutted van and then putting this equipment in and the planning that goes into it. And I, I recommend checking that out because one of my favorite ways to learn about modification for a vehicle is to watch it happening. I'm not I'm not clever enough to read a paragraph uh or to read um you know a step-by-step guide and really get it. So I you mean, can't visualize it that well. It's way it may, it just makes more sense to me if you know I see somebody up to their elbows in the in the guts of a vehicle. So more hands-on for you then. Yeah. Okay, for sure. I get, I get yeah. it. You know what? That's one of the scenes in um in that movie that we talked about Chef and I know they do it in a fast version but, like a montage. But, but they go to the place where they build these and you know, here's what you can get, but here's what you can afford. And <laughs> right. uh, you know, it's a great disappointment, but then they spend a lot of time cleaning up the old one and I won't give away the movie if you want to watch it because it is pretty it's actually a pretty good movie. It's better than I thought it would be, but um it, it is a uh it's a it's a pretty interesting look at you know what you really what you think what your expectations are like what you think you're going to get and what you yeah. do get and and the effort that it takes to to put it back together and make it something workable and I think a lot of people are in that position where they either do have to do a DIY or buy a really old one that you know requires a lot of work right and, and put that elbow grease into it to make it uh, make it yours and safety considerations are huge. What? What, yeah. Oh no! I go ahead. Let's finish with your safety. Oh, I was going to say safety considerations are huge because we have seen uh, explosions of propane tanks and stuff. That's true. We mentioned a few of those early on. Yeah. That, you know, sometimes like explosions big enough to damage eleven houses apparently, and one right. of these. You know, I mean, we're talking about some some major stuff. So you're carrying propane, and it's like. Um, 
Uh, it's it's like the safety that you'd require on an RV as well. You know, it's the same thing. And don't let those don't let those stories spook you, folks. They are isolated incidences. Yeah. They just they emphasize again how important it is to stay on your your toes about well the safety. Concerns. And all this points to is that a licensed uh, truck or is that an unlicensed truck? Because there are a lot of unlicensed trucks out there, and you know they're they're. Boy, well, we're going so many different directions here. I yes. want to say so many things, but there, there are a lot of unlicensed food vendors out there, which the uh, you know Food and Drug Administration finds very troubling, as you can imagine. And the, the funny thing is that if they're using social media to to get fans to come and meet them at places, uh-huh. guess who meets them at the spot there? Health inspectors. <laughs> so you know, a lot of times they get shut down that way, or you know, and then they'll find that some of these unlicensed people will will open up shop again later that week, uh, which is a terrible idea, you know, because you're going to get Super huge fine at that point, if not an even bigger legal problem. Sure. So, uh, man, okay, here's one thought that I had while we were talking about uh, building. Yes. What if you took a food truck to a like a custom hot rod shop oh, man. and had them design just like the ultimate food truck? And I've seen uh, a version of this in Seattle that I think was built by a hot rod shop. I wish I could remember the name of this thing. It's a it's a food truck that's silver. It looks like a pig. It has big ears, and I mentioned it earlier on. It has yeah. sunglasses. It has a big snout on the front. We just happened across this thing in town. And uh, Maximus Minimus. That's it. That's yeah. the one. You're right. It's the very one. And I saw that one in person, just purely by accident, in downtown Seattle. And I was only I've only been there one time, and for a couple of days. And we were touring Ooh. the market there, and you know, then off on you know some other trip, but. Um, it was really impressive. I mean, I, I stared at it for a long time. I think I took a few photos of my own cell phone, of course. Yeah. Uh, but it is one of those un- unusual designs that um, uh, really stand out. And it, it, it makes it, uh, um, I don't know if that draws anybody in. You know, if they're going to go to just a standard food truck, you know, that serves pork sandwiches, or they're going to go to this one yeah. that serves pork sandwiches. I wonder how that works. If it if it really works as like a marketing tool. I bet you it know, does. I bet I wouldn't be surprised, man. I I'm glad that we're talking about the interesting designs because there are some fantastic, unique things going on in this in this world. One of my favorite designs for food trucks I've seen are the double decker buses. Oh yes, it's so cool. You know, but it's, it's a little different because it's like a rolling restaurant. Okay, I've heard this called a busterant. You ever heard that? I, no. That's a term that was brand new to me, but when I was looking through that, remember that uh, that history piece that we were reading that was called yeah. um, uh, From the Food on a Truck blog? Uh-huh. They had some, they said, uh, you know, the way that's evolved from chuck wagons and push carts to trucks and even busterants. And I'd never heard of busterant, but I totally get what it is. Um, the only time I've ever eaten food off a bus, I think, was in Killarney, Canada. They have a bus that is permanently parked at a location. They serve like fish and chips and that type of thing. Uh-huh. But it's permanent. I don't think it ever moves. If it does, it doesn't move very far. Mm-hmm. And uh, they cook on the bus. And, and I would guess that the idea, if you have it on a bus, a double-decker bus, you could also have seating. Right. Yeah. Which absolutely. is really, uh, that's an interesting idea. I, You know, I think if I were to have something like a food truck, I would want something like that. At least the idea of it. I'm sure it's an absolute pain to drive. Plus, imagine putting a kitchen on one of those. I, yeah, I just can't imagine like how you know how you have to secure everything in a boat or an RV once right, you, once you start right. to move. It just would be so enormous. Like not only the kitchen, not only the kitchen that you'd have to deal with, you know, the oil and the grease and you know the the waste and all that stuff that you would have on board, but 
you would also have to deal with like you know the tables upstairs and the chairs and you know not wanting everything to tip over and if you have any kind of you know um, mm-hmm. ornamentation on the the walls or you know on the table like you know salt and pepper shakers all of that stuff would have to come off before you moved everything would have to be bolted down really yeah exactly but given all these pros cons considerations complications uh, lobbies fighting against uh fighting against the small business owner or fighting for their own small business uh even given all this stuff, I still think food trucks are so cool. And I've been inside some of them. I've, I've hung out and seen the, the process, uh, like a day in the life kind of stuff for uh, a video that we did previously with one of our coworkers in front of the show, uh, Kristen Conger from Stuff Mom Never Told You. Uh, we got together and did a, an episode of a show called Food Stuff where we looked at food trucks. And this is a fascinating phenomenon. I hope it continues. I want more street vendors. I know not everybody does. I want more food trucks. I want more food carts. I want to be about a two-minute walk away from being able to eat something at all times. That's sort of my goal in life. That's a good rule. You got to dream big, man. <laughs> like, like these little oasises uh, that are only, that are just, just two miles away or no, no, two, what do you say? Two, two minutes. Two minutes away. Walking. Okay. Well, it's even closer. All right. Even I better. mean, hey, I would open up a sandwich shop here at the office if I didn't think that our boss would get mad at me. Yeah. <laughs> hey, by the way, I watched all of those food stuff episodes, the, uh, the videos. Very entertaining. I, oh, I like so. and thank informative. So I thought they were really good. So if uh, if our listeners would like to check out the food stuff episodes, a lot of them feature you. Do all of them feature you, or just yeah, it, or uh, just most? It's a show that uh, we did, and it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. It's, it's just a little series we did because I, I can't remember if we both knew it was a good idea or if we both just thought it was a good idea because we were hungry. Well, it featured, uh, well, Joe was in there for as uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Hot Sauce or something like that, yeah, too. Yeah, Joe McCormick. Yeah, were you in that one as well, the hot mm-hmm. sauce? I don't know if I yeah. remember that, yep. but uh, the cheese, of course, uh-huh. food trucks, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a lot of, there was some really good ones. So It's it, a weird show. It, it is, but it's fun to watch. It's entertaining. It's it's informative. Uh, thanks so I, much, man. I, I like it a lot. So um, I think our Car Stuff listeners would like it as well. And hopefully... Today's topic, we, we took it in some different directions that maybe uh, you didn't expect. Yeah. And uh, hopefully a delightful direction that you maybe uh, <laughs> appreciated. But I am so hungry right now. Yeah, I am too. And, I, man, there, as we always say, there's a lot more to these than we're, we're covering even here right. today. So, I don't know, give uh, give your local food truck operator some business and some do as well because it's a difficult business to be in. And let us know what you think of the food trucks in your neck of the woods. Are they around? Let us know, especially also, if you would consider owning and operating one of these because there's a lot more to it than simply, uh, you know, simply hopping in a van and down handing by people sandwiches down yeah. by the river. In a van down by the river selling sandwiches. You're going to add that part. But and, uh, I'd like to hear some best worst stories as well. Ooh, that's a good call. And Scott, there's one uh, other important question that you wanted to bring to the public, oh, right? It's, it's vitally important. I, uh, I need to know if you can get decent pizza out of a truck. Let us know on Twitter and Facebook where we are Car Stuff HSW. And if you'd like to check out any of our earlier podcasts, you can listen to every single one at our website, carstuffshow.com. If you have a best slash worst story or a suggestion for an upcoming topic or a food truck idea of your own. Or if you own a food truck. Mm-hmm. Then we'd like to hear from you. You can write to us directly. We are. Carstuff at HowStuffWorks.com. Ben, I think I'm going to go get some pizza and a cone. 
more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hi, I'm Gabby Reese. Join me and my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, on our journey with Laird Superfood. From our kitchen to yours, we've crafted delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and so much more using high-quality functional ingredients. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 for 20% off your first order. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Now that spring is here, it's time to focus on self-care and revitalize your personal care routine. Now through March 26, head in store, shop for all your favorite personal care essentials, and earn four times rewards points. Shop for items like Crest Toothpaste, Secret Deodorant, Old Spice Deodorant, or Gillette Razors. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details.